I'm glad you're here. We we had a, a special guest at the the happy meeting this week. We had uh, Rabbi David Aaron, and that was really great. And he told the story of uh, his first meeting uh, with uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. And he said, uh, I'm, I'm just going to cut to the, the chase of it. He tells it in a, in a wonderful, very entertaining way. But I'm just going to get to the kind of like the, the first sort of uh, teaching moment of it. He said that he... He was uh, really stunned when when Reb Shlomo said, like early on, he to the people who were there, uh, "Open your hearts," and he said that he had never heard a rabbi ever say that ever. Open your hearts. He he said he had heard a rabbi say, "Open your books," <laughs> you know, but he never heard anyone ever say, "Open your hearts." So um, so that's that's such an uh, an essential teaching. And what, what's really being said there? So I, I just want to talk about the opening of the heart for one moment, the, the challenges facing it, what that means actually in the, the, the broader sense in terms of the, the destiny of human beings in this world. Um, so let me just uh, backtrack a little bit. So after, after services were over and we had a kiddush, people were having, you know, some, some, some cake, some, some, some soda, wine, whatever it was. Someone came over to me and said, um, the rabbi said, open your hearts. And she said to me, how can I open my heart today, right now? He didn't say how to do it. What can I do right today to open my heart? And so I, you know, what are you going to say, right? So I said, um, would you like to come to my house? You know? And she was like, no. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, my, my sort of the math in my mind was, well, if I open my heart, maybe that will cause you to open your heart, right? That's what I was thinking. I, so, 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 but she was with someone, and anyway, you know. Whatever it was, I, I also said to come to my family, so she didn't think I was asking her out. Um, um, so, so then I thought, okay, she said, well, what else? You know, she pushed me. She was like, what else? What can I do practically right now? And I said, well, um, I said, find something that you never thanked God for ever in your life and thank God for that. Right? And she was like, oh, okay, okay. So... So the Kutzka Rebbe says a very famous uh, Torah, one of these, uh, what we call cash Torahs, landmark Torahs, because it's a cash Torah. Why? Because this is a Torah that you have to have in your pocket at all times. You have to know it so well that you can just say it in conversation at any moment. So, so the Kutzka Rebbe says very famously uh, on, in, in the paragraph of one of the paragraphs of Shema, it says you should ha- take these words and put them on your heart. Olive of Becha. So, so everyone asks the question, you know, it's a very good question. Why would you take the words of the Torah and put them on your heart? You should put them in your heart, right? That's, that's what it should say. So now listen to the Katskarebi's unbelievable insight into human beings. He said, why, why doesn't it say put them in your heart? He says, because let's be serious. How often is your heart actually open? Right? He says, so put them on your heart. That way, they're going to pile up, they're going to sit on your heart, and then during one of those moments in your life when your heart actually opens up, they'll be there to drop in. Wow. Right? So this is, this is again, the challenge. You know, he's, 
he's he's bringing us sort of like the, to the next step, which is which is that we have to open up our heart. In other words, that the default setting of a person is not an open heart. I mean, you 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 meet people in life if we're lucky who who have an open heart, but that's that that's rare. And then and then if you do have an open heart, you have to keep your heart open. In other words, it won't stay open on its own. That actually involves a regular exercise in order to keep it open. You know, we were talking about the, um, sort of this is a good, like if, you ever, if, you're, if you're ever sitting around a, a table and you want sort of like a conversation starter. So this is a good conversation starter. So the Rambam has a, a famous question, which is if you have one $100 bill, right, should you give it to one poor person? Or should you turn it into a hundred single dollar bills and give it to a, a hundred different people, right? So you can argue both sides. And if you ask a table full of people, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of different answers and people can argue it back and forth. The answer that he gives, though, is that you should turn it into a hundred dollar bills and give one dollar to each of the people. Why? Because each time you give, that's an opening of the heart. And that the heart is like a muscle. In fact, I think anatomically speaking, the heart actually is a muscle. And just like every other muscle that needs to be worked out and exercised, the heart also needs to be worked out and exercised. And one of the ways that you, you exercise the heart is through the act of giving. Right? And you see also something else very interesting from this, which is that tzedakah, usually we think, okay, tzedakah, I'm being a nice guy, this guy needs something, I'm giving it to him, right? But here you see that one of the primary, or maybe even the primary beneficiary of tzedakah is you, that, that you get to give, that you get to open up your heart. And in fact, it actually says in the Gemara something kind of shocking, which is that the person who receives the tzedakah has more reward than the person who gives the tzedakah. <laughs> because he created the opportunity for you to do the mitzvah. That's an amazing thing. And I'll tell you a story. I once was leaving a restaurant in the neighborhood. I was kind of, I was on a job and I, and I had to pick up a meal and go back to the office. And the restaurant gave me two rolls, two, two pieces of bread. And I wasn't going to eat the bread. I didn't want it. Um, but I thought, okay, great. You know, you know, there's almost always in that area where that restaurant is, there was almost always, uh, you know, someone who is poor and would be sitting out on the street. And I was just thinking, Okay, great. I'll give the bread to that person. That's like a mitzvah. He'll get something to eat. I'll be able to not waste this food, you know. And everyone wins. Mm -hmm. And I've got to get back to the office quickly. And I look, and the person's not there. Mm -hmm. And then I look, you know, I say, okay, well, okay, I'll just look around. There's going to be someone nearby. Not there, not there, not there, not there. And I'm like, I have, like, tzedakah to give, and there's no one to give it to. And it was really like, I realized, wow, I never realized they're doing me a favor. And it's like, I was, I was now the needy person, really. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I was like, I need to give this to someone, and there's no one who there is to give it to. So it, 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 all of a sudden, like, Hashem gave me a gift. He gave me the ability to actually see the spiritual reality of what the dynamics of giving are. That, that really, the, the person is giving you an opportunity. And I'll tell you something. You know, one of the hardest jobs um, is to be a fundraiser. You know, because it's really hard. You have to go to people's houses and you have to ask them for money and 
who wants to give away money? And then if you want to ask for a lot of money, then who wants to give away a lot of money? And you have to ask again and again, and you'd be told no to, and everything like this. So it can be a very difficult job. However, the most successful fundraisers have this attitude, which is that they show up and they're like, and they believe this. They're not, this is not a game. They believe this. I am giving you an opportunity. This is a chance for you. You want to take it? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll go on. I'll give someone else a chance. And that attitude is very, first of all, it's, 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 it actually is good for success because you're, you come in not as a beggar, but you come in with, with dignity and confidence and everything like that. And it's not, it's not a game because you are reflecting the actual spiritual reality going on, which is you are giving them an opportunity. That's what's going on. That's what it is. And it says also one of the ways that we bring Mashiach, this is also in the Gomorrah, is to bless you, is to give money to the poor people of Israel. So when you have people in LA, you know, thank God the, the people of LA get a big opportunity because it's a big enough city that people actually make the trip from Israel because they know that there are people here who will give them. Um, you have the opportunity to be able to access this teaching from the Gomorrah of giving to the poor of Israel. And that's something that helps bring Mashiach. So that's, that's a big thing. Okay, but let's get back to the idea of this open heart. So, so again, just to finish that thought, to give a hundred times, you're able to actually exercise your heart. And you see there that the giver is the beneficiary. That's, that's, that's the point of that. And so the heart, in order to stay open, has to be kept open. That's not the normal state of a person to have an open heart. <clears throat> not only that, but it actually says this in the Torah itself. It says in slightly different language, but this is what we're talking about. It says that a person, man, woman, every, every, every person has to circumcise their heart. Right? So what is the idea of a circumcision? So we know it usually like a bris in terms of like, the, like a, an eight-day-year-old uh, or an eight-day-old boy, right? That there's an extra piece of skin that's taken off, right? So the idea is that all of us, men and women, all have this extra piece of skin, if you will, like what we would really call a blockage on our our hearts. So, So again, anatomically speaking, this is more than just a spiritual idea that we actually have this blockage on our hearts. I mean, we're, call, we're calling it a blockage. They would just call it part of the heart itself, right? And in fact, I actually studied um, the laws of eating hearts, okay? It's part of, it's, it's part of just um, keeping kosher. Like, what parts, like, because you have to salt meat because you can't eat blood, right? So salt draws out blood. So some parts of the body are, are easy to salt, in, in terms of preparing it for kashus. Other parts are much harder. Like, for instance, the liver is basically all blood. That's what all the liver is. It's just basically a jellied blood. It's just a mass of blood. So how do you eat liver? So in order to make kosher liver, and you can do it, but it's a more extensive process. So different parts of the body require different ways of preparing them in order to draw out the blood. The heart also has its own series of laws of how to do it. And they talk about this actually this piece of skin on the heart. They actually talk about it. So it's not just a spiritual idea. There's also a physical reality to it as well. But what is this idea? What is this idea of circumcising your heart? Right? Again, we're starting with this idea of, of open your heart. What does that mean to open your heart? 
and, and that the reality of most people is that is that we have a closed heart and that if we want to keep it open that that requires a, a series of constant exercises in order to maintain its opening, right? So, so all of us are aware, hopefully, that human beings have unbelievable potential. Unbelievable potential. I mean, remember, it's sort of like, you know, like, imagine you have like a little, like a radio or something like that, a little tape recorder, and it, it, it requires like a little battery, right? So, okay, that's, that's enough to keep it going, that's good. Now imagine you have a nuclear reactor. Wow, what, what kind of, you can't put the same battery from your little tape recorder into a nuclear reactor, right? You need like fuel, you need rods and crazy heavy water and uranium and all sorts of crazy stuff to, to power that. Now what about a human being? What does a human being need? So you can tell the greatness of the energy source by the nature of the battery, right? Like a, like a tape recorder needs a little battery. A nuclear reactor needs plutonium or uranium or something like that. Do you know what a human being needs to battery it? A piece of God. <laughs> like, what? You want to know the greatness of a human being? You need that. You need a, you need God inside you to keep you alive. Otherwise, you're literally dead. So you want to know how great you are? You've got a. You've got like you know like you've got A, triple A, and then you've got G. Right? Like that's like whoa. You know. So so that's that's what you have inside of you, and that's that shows you the greatness and potential of a human being. Now, how much of that are we actually manifesting? So everybody knows, you know, human beings are so petty, you know? We're, we're, we're like constantly, you know, complaining and, you know, and we're miserable. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's really, you know, and God's like, really? I mean, you really don't like that sunset? It's like, I've now got, I don't know if you've been to, um, uh, a supermarket recently, but this is a recent discovery of mine, um, which blew me away. There is half an aisle of Oreo cookies now. <laughs> I mean, there's like 12, 15 variations of Oreos. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. You know, you have, you have, um, well, you have the regular Oreo, right? <laughs> then you have double stuff. Now, you may not be aware of this, but now they have something called the Mega, which is triple stuffed. <laughs> now, you also have something called, I haven't had the Mega yet because I like the double stuff so much. And I'll tell you something else. You, you might want to run this by your rabbi, but I, I do this for whatever that's worth. You, Oreos are not exactly parv, mm -hmm. meaning to say you can't have it, if you're having meat, you can't have an Oreo with it. But when you finish your meat meal, you can have an Oreo. So that's like, that hasn't been as widely disseminated as perhaps it should be, <laughs> because that is an excellent dessert. <laughs> okay, you so. Drink something in between? You, yeah, you, you can drink something in between and eat maybe a little piece of bread or a cracker or something like that, or maybe rinse your mouth, whatever it is. But because they're just, it's just what's called dairy equipment. 
meaning that there's no milk in it. You know, but but there's enough that you couldn't eat it with the meat, but afterwards you could you could eat it. So so now you also have something called the triple double. Okay, now the triple double I, I haven't quite worked up to yet, but it's like you look at it and it's like you're looking at like a like a billboard of like like Brad Pitt or like George Clooney. I mean like the triple double is one impressive looking cookie. It's it's three layers of cookie and on the top it's chocolate filling and on the bottom it's vanilla filling. Right? So that's like that you know and you've got birthday cake, and I mean, there's like, it's, it's crazy. So, so cotton candy, candy corn, I heard they've got candy corn too. So, um, and then they've got them dipped, right? It's not just the cookie itself, now they've got, you know, chocolate covered or vanilla covered, so they're completely surrounded in chocolate. Anyway, so God gives us a lot of stuff, you know? That's, 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 we're just talking about Oreos right now, but you know, we'd never be able to stop talking. You know, I don't think I, you know, I'd like to thank God for the triple double right now. Without even having, that's something I've never thanked God for, you know, just to tie it back to the beginning for a moment. And I've never even eaten one, just the idea that I find spectacular, you know? So, so anyway, there's a lot, there's a lot to thank God for. And, and, and we know that um, we haven't begun to manifest our potential as human beings. This is, this is the point. And, and we, we, this is what it means that, it, interestingly, it says in the Torah itself, in, in the five books itself, God gives us a commandment, circumcise your heart. Right? So again, what is this idea? We have a closed heart. Not only is it closed, but it's, it's, it's shut. There's like almost like a, a lock on it, which is which is w- this idea of the extra piece of skin on it that we have to take off, you know. So in other words, the default setting, the natural setting of a person is a closed heart. You know, that's why it says something very similar, but it's connected to this. It says uh, um, by the mitzvah of giving tzedakah, it says, open your hand and give. Right. So what does open your hand imply? It implies that your hand was closed. Right? So, so in other words, again, that's, that's, that's the same idea of opening your heart, opening your hand. It's the same general idea. And, and we talked about how giving tzedakah actually does open the heart. So the opening up of the hand and the opening up of the heart are very much connected. You know, they say that children, babies, are born with clenched fists. You know, can you picture that? They're born like this. Because there's an evolution that takes place over the course of our lifetime, where we start off in this sort of very narrow, stingy, needy place, and then we have to evolve into being givers. That's, that's the idea, you want to be a giver, right? Because who's the ultimate giver? God is the ultimate giver. God is giving constantly. And God says, I created you in my image. Meaning to say that just like I'm a giver, I want you to evolve into becoming a, a giver. So the idea now, again, is that if we're actually, in order to activate a human being, we need something that's actually a piece of God, so if God is powering us and we're just kind of like walking around being miserable, that's the clearest example that we aren't fully activating all the stuff that's inside of us, right? You know, I once thought of like a, an analogy just to talk about being, um, you know, keeping uh, mitzvahs and things like that. 
and but it, it relates to this piece of imagery, be a new piece of imagery, but but it relates to this topic, another way of accessing this idea. Imagine you have um, a Lamborghini, right? So that's like a super expensive sports car, right? Super high end, and you're you've just gotten it. It's like wow, you know, I got a, a Lamborghini, you know, and uh, you're sitting behind the front seat. And you look at the dashboard, and it probably looks like a spaceship, right? Like all the things, you know? And then the, you got to figure out how to work it. And you, you go, okay, um, I, I'll use this user's manual. I guess it doesn't really matter. So you use the user's manual for a Ford Taurus, mm -hmm. right? So a Ford Taurus, that's, that's, that's a fine car. But it's, it's not a super crazy rocket ship type race car, just like a, a regular car, right? So the Ford Taurus is probably going to tell you, that user's manual probably will tell you, that's the brake, that's the gas, that's the steering wheel, that's the, that's, you go into drive, right? These are the windows, here's how you adjust the windows. It, those things will probably more or less translate, right? But it's not going to tell you how to use all the incredible special things that are there. It's like, you know, you say, okay, so now let's make this Jewish, okay? You say, okay, so let me just be a good person, right? I'll be nice to people, you know? You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to be honest, you know? Things like this. So all, all that's all that's great. And that's sort of like that's the four tourist level. <laughs> right? But will you ever just know on your own without the Torah that on the full moon of the month of Tishrei that you're supposed to take an Esrug and a Lulav and a Ravas and Hadassim and put them all together and shake them in every direction? Like, that's a super exotic activity. You know what I mean? It's like, you're never... And then that's sort of unleashing this aspect of your, 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 your godliness, which is inside of you, which is going to help you, like, put your Lamborghini, so to speak, into overdrive and, like, just fly down the highway. But you're not, you're not going to know to do that at all without the Torah. You're not going to access this special mechanism this special soul that you've been given, right? You need the mitzvot in order to do that, in order to open you up, right? In order to open you up, you need that. So, so now let's get deeper. Let's get deeper. So Rabbi um, Aaron said an unbelievable teaching from Rav Cook. So he said that in, in one place in the Gemara, it says that um, when Mashiach comes, right? And so what does that mean when Mashiach comes? That means when the oneness of God is revealed, right? He said another amazing teaching from Rav Kook about Judaism vis-a-vis -vis the other religions of the world. That like each of the, each of the world religions is like a different book, right? And... Um, and it's sitting on a shelf. But the book shelf is Judaism. <laughs> right? And what Mashiach will be able to do is he'll be able to integrate all of the world religions and show 
what was true about them, but also what was false about them, and be able to bring all of the religions under the oneness of God in Torah. Right? So, so again, I just want to make sure that we, before we go further, that we finished up this last point, that what it means to circumcise your heart, what it means to have a truly open heart, is that you're able to manifest the godly potential that's inside of you. Right? That means that you're that this that this God battery, so to speak, this soul that's within you, is actually functioning in its in its highest way, and that's the, really the next stage of the evolution of humanity and the evolution of the world, right? You know, I always like to say that Darwin, aside for a moment, I mean that's a separate discussion, but Darwin, aside for a moment, <clears throat> Jews believe in evolution in the deepest, deepest, deepest way. Because we think that this is right now, we're in a, there is another stage to human beings. There is another stage to the world. And we absolutely, it's the whole premise, one of the whole premises of the religion. No, we absolutely believe that. You know, a lot of people think, oh, that's kind of like a new agey kind of thing. This is like new agey for thousands of years already, also known as Judaism. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, Judaism is a very forward-thinking, radical kind of point of view. And, you know, like I, I, I've quoted Rabbi Svi Freeman before on this subject, but I, I, he said it so beautifully. He said, if you go up to most Jews today and you say, well, you know, what does it mean to be Jewish? They'll say, well, you know, I got to do this stuff in order to keep these traditions alive because my parents did it or my grandparents did it or whatever it is. And so I have to kind of keep this stuff alive, right? Because they did. That's what most people would more or less say, right? Now, he said, what if you went up to Abraham Avinu and you asked him, What's, what is Judaism? <laughs> right now, Abraham Avinu obviously was the first Jew. He wasn't keeping the previous traditions alive. The previous traditions were idol worship. And he's the, he is the beginning of what we're doing right now. So the point clearly is not just keeping things alive from the past. It's actually to innovate something. We're innovators. We're forward-thinking. But unfortunately, because of the exile and the Holocaust and all sorts of assimilation and, and just people just wigging out, we've kind of forgotten what we're supposed to be doing. We've forgotten that we're forward-thinking innovators that are transforming society. And huge amounts of society have been transformed already through the Torah. Huge amounts. Huge amounts. Giant blocks. Bless you. Giant blocks of the way people interact. Giant blocks. Right? To give you one example, child sacrifice, okay? That was very popular in the world. You don't have it anymore. That's, that's Judaism. Okay? Just that's one tiny example. One tiny example. Um, so... So the idea of circumcising your heart, of opening up your heart, of getting rid of the blockages of your heart, that's of one piece of the idea of humanity, really, and human beings evolving to their next stage and, 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 and fulfilling our full potential. So that's, that's coming. That's coming. All right. Um, and just let me just say a P.S to that, and then we're going to move on to the teaching from Rav Cook in a second. 
So one of the reasons why the heart is closed is because the heart and the mind are separated. See, for the heart to be open, the heart and the mind have to be functioning as one. And they say that the greatest distance in the entire world is the distance between the heart and the mind. You know? Because knowing something and doing it, you can know something and never do it. Right? Right? It's, there's a very, very big gap. But when the heart and the mind are working together, then that's already the next stage. And that's something that we can all work on ourselves. You know, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time something that I thought was really amazing. That if you think of something, and I'm, I'm talking about something positive, not, I'm not talking about being impulsive right now. So that's, let me say that one more time. I'm not talking about being impulsive. But if you have an idea for something good that's legitimately good, right? And then you do it right away. Reb Shlomo says that there's like a little taste of prophecy in that. I mean, there's something like really great about thinking something and doing it right away. But again, I'm not talking about impulsiveness right now. Okay? Like, oh man, would I like to get drunk right now? I'm a prophet! (laughs) I I didn't think I could drink a bottle of tequila that fast. I'm unbelievable. You know? (laughs) So, you know, because... You know, it's a whole subject in itself, but to say it very quickly, imagine you want to give someone some help, whatever, whatever that means, some help, and you give it to them right away. They then are able to use that help right away. So it's all domino effects. Then they start changing the world with that effect right away. Whereas if you had the idea, I want to help someone, and then days, weeks, months pass before you do it. And then you do it. First of all, you've taken a lot of the oomph out of the mitzvah, right? But also, think about how different the world would have been if you had done it days, weeks, months before. Right? So this is already just just a little taste of what this idea means, which is an even bigger idea, that there's almost a taste of prophecy to it. Right? Okay, but then that's an example of the mind and the heart being connected, which is one of the conditions of an open heart. Okay, so now let's go deeper. So Rav Cook notices a, a uh, you know, a, 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 a seeming contradiction in the Talmud. In one area it says that when Mashiach comes, we're not going to do the mitzvahs, right? That the mitzvahs aren't going to be, you know, obligations anymore. And in another place it says, no, we will do the mitzvahs when Mashiach comes. So are we doing the mitzvahs when Mashiach comes, or are we not doing the mitzvahs when Mashiach comes? What, what, what is it? So listen to what Rav Cook says. He says something phenomenal, I think. He says, right now we're doing the mitzvahs because we're obligated and commanded to do the mitzvahs. When Mashiach comes, we're going to still do the mitzvahs, but we're going to do it from a place of self-expression. This is is an amazing, amazing thought. I'll say it one more time. He says, right now we're doing the mitzvahs from a place of being commanded to. A sense of being chayiv, right? Obligated to do it. But in the end of days we're going to do the mitzvahs, 
but we're going to do it from this place of self-expression, right? So, so, so I, I would like to give my explanation of that. Maybe it's clear already, but this is how I understand it. You see, there is a blueprint to reality that exists right now in an objective sense. It's all there already. It's all there already. Right? But we have to manifest it. You see, there's a teaching from, uh, there's a teaching from uh, Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, um, from Kehelis, a very famous teaching. He says, there's nothing new under the sun. So the rabbis take this very seriously. What does that mean, there's nothing new under the sun? Because because it seems like there's go, there, it seems like there's a lot of new things that are entering into the world, right? So, so, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver and other rabbis work with this, and they show how basically everything is already there, but it just has to come out. Okay, so so for instance, we know in terms of a person's soul, there's actually five levels to the soul. Okay, there's three inside you. That's the nefesh, the ruach, and the neshama. And there are two that are beyond you. It's one continuum. There are two beyond you. That's the chaya and the yechida. And that stretches all the way up to the kiseya kavid, to the throne of glory. Which means that when you look at each other, most people think that you end at the top of your head. You don't end at the top of your head. You stretch all the way up to the top of heaven. So all of us are like giants, basically. That's existing right now. But we don't have that perception of each other. But what's going to happen as the world evolves is we're going to actually see what is already there. So there is nothing new under the sun. It's already there, but we're going to see what's there. Okay, now with that in mind, let's revisit Rav Cook's teaching. That right now, we keep the mitzvahs because we're obligated to, we're commanded to. That's because we don't actually, we only see small parts of reality around us, right? Like the famous example that I heard Reb Shlomo give, that like he says, this world can, can be compared to someone's looking through a peephole and he sees that someone's raising a knife over another person and there's a murder about to take place. But what's happening behind that door? It's an operating theater. It's a surgeon and he's going to save that guy's life. So, you know, what we see with our eye, it's like, it's very unclear. We see a very small piece. There's, there's something much bigger going on. So right now we keep the mitzvahs because we're commanded to. But remember, the mitzvahs itself are the building blocks of all of reality. So when Mashiach comes, when the oneness of the universe is made clear to us, we're going to keep it from a place of free choice, of self-expression, because that's who we are and that's what the world is. In other words, there's no other... We'll say, oh, of course, you know what I mean? Of course. So clear, it's so obvious, it's everywhere. Of course this is who I am. Remember, Ruff Cook says, when people, why don't people want to do tshuva? You know, tshuva is horribly, criminally, criminally, translated in English as repentance, right? Tshuva means to return. Why don't people want to do tshuva? Because they say, why are you trying to make me into something I'm not? Why are you trying to coerce me? Right? 
But what is tshuva? What does it mean to return? It means to become who you actually are. That's who you are. You've convinced yourself that you're someone else. Okay, that's your problem. I'm very sorry. But you want to be who you are? That's, you have to look at the, the, the blueprint of a human being. And the blueprint of a human being is that you're, you're a piece of God and, 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 and the blueprint is the Torah and the mitzvah. So, so we'll wrap it up. Just talk about, just very quickly, just one major obstacle, since we just read Parsha's Chukas. Right. And uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Aaron was sort of getting to this place. I might be adding slightly to what he was saying, but this is essentially his point. That, that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Chava were creatures of light. You know, we, we don't really appreciate that. And, you know, it says that Hashem garbed them when they left the Garden of Eden with garments of skin. What does that mean? That means that we originally we were like creatures of light, meaning to say we were distinct from God, but there wasn't this illusion of separation. Now, this world, um, mystically speaking, this world that we live in is called the world of separation because we think that we're separate from God. Remember, God is 100% as present in this world as the spiritual worlds. It's just concealed. But he's not over there. He's right here. He's equally here. Equally here. It's just harder to see. A very important point. So what happened, why is it that when we ate from the tree of knowledge, we brought death into the world? Because we started to believe in our own physicality and our own separation from God. And that's a concept of death. And any time a person has what's called, what we want to stay in is a place called expanded consciousness. You need Torah. You need Torah in order to stay in a place of expanded consciousness which is reality. Remember what I said before, the heart doesn't stay open. You have to work to keep an open heart. The natural setting of a heart is to be closed, okay? So the natural setting of a person is to believe in their own physicality and their own separation, right? And as you narrow your consciousness, as you go from a place of expanded consciousness to narrowing of consciousness, you believe increasingly in separation and your own physicality. And what is one of the express ways to narrowing of your consciousness? Anger. Anger, man, you want to put your, 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 your vehicle, your mind, your consciousness into overdrive, into narrowness, like, you know, next stop, narrowness, get angry. That's, that's it, that's a first class ticket to a narrowing of consciousness and death, and death. Because what happens? Moshe Rabbeinu becomes angry. He hits the rock, and then God says, you're going to die. You're not going into Israel. So you, there you see, you can't have a more direct connection between anger and death, right there. Interestingly, a poor person is called uh, dead. 
someone who can't meet any of their needs is called dead. And Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says something very interesting, that right when money is starting to come down on a spiritual level, like Shefa, Bracha, oftentimes a person is um, given a test of anger at that moment. And so there again you see a connection between anger and life. Because a poor person is called dead, so money on some level is called life. Right? It's not the point of life, obviously. But there's, on a spiritual level, a connection. So there you see another connection between shutting off life and becoming angry. Like Moshe Rabbeinu becomes angry, and he's told he can't go into Israel. So, so, so if we want to keep an open heart, we have to remember the heart is a muscle. You have to exercise your heart. Forgiveness is another great way to exercise your heart. Right? And remember, with a lot of these things, we're the beneficiaries. We're the beneficiaries. We live longer for it. You know? You think, well, why should I be a nice guy? Well, the person deserves that I should be a nice guy? You're the beneficiary. Now for some questions and answers. There's a connection between anger and narrowing your consciousness. Okay? Um, anger, actually the, the Gomorrah compares anger to idol worship. And, and the reason is, is because everything comes from God. And when I become angry, I'm mad at you. You did that to me. Well, wait a second. That means that you're a power other than God. Right? So I'm attributing a power to you that you don't have. That's called idol worship. Right? Now, that doesn't mean you are blameless if, um, if you did something bad and I'm angry at you. You may have actually done something terrible. Right? But I, in my heart, have to understand why did this happen to me? Ultimately, I have to bring it back to God and say, God, why did this happen? And connect it back to its source. It doesn't mean that we're friends now. We might still have to work this out. But my anger toward you is misplaced. I have to understand what's going on. So there's a direct correlation between angerness and separation. Because when I'm angry, I think it's you, and I'm forgetting about God. Right? So anger, again, connects back to this idea of the world of separation, thinking that I'm separate from God. Okay? So when did the whole idea of the world of separation take place? When, when we ate from the tree and death entered into the world. Okay, so now just like anger creates this consciousness of separation, death also is a result of this consciousness of separation as well. Because we went against God's will and we did our own thing, right? And then all of a sudden it says that death comes into the world when we ate from the tree of knowledge. So Moshe Rabbeinu gets angry and then that was a death decree for him because now he's not going into Israel. Okay, now to build on that point, just to connect a related concept. Rabbi Nachman says that when a person becomes angry, they cut off the money flow that's happening at that moment. And all I was saying was that a poor person is considered a dead person. So there you see money is life, poor is death. So when you become angry, you're also cutting the money flow at that moment, according to, to Rabbi Nachman. So that's another example of anger and death happening. You hear? Okay really easy sometimes to 
at least for me, uh, I feel like the stronger I become in Torah and feeling close to Hashem, the more like my Yitzhahara comes up with really good ideas. Right. That's, it says that in the Gemara, that as a person becomes holier, their Yitzhahara becomes stronger. Do you know where the, you know where that is in the Gemara? No, please tell me. So it's there were there was a, a Rav, one of the big sages of the Gomorrah, and he's hiding behind a tree watching a young couple in the woods. <laughs> and the and the you know, he's like, Okay, I'm gonna wait for something to happen. It's like nighttime, right? I'm gonna wait for something to happen, I'm gonna jump out and tell them, you know, what are you doing? Right? And uh, and they don't do anything. And they're totally like chaste and holy and they kind of go their separate ways. They say goodbye, they go their separate ways. And the rabbi goes back, and this is recorded in the Talmud. The rabbi goes back and he tells his colleagues, he says, if that guy had been me, I would have been all over. And they say, you rabbi? That, that, you? And, and then he says, yes, because as a person's increases in holiness, their yetzer their Yetzahara, their evil inclination, or their, their, their primal, if you want to call it that, you know, there's a lot of different translations, their primal urge also becomes stronger. Right, yeah. So my question was, yeah. sorry, um, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, how, how do you keep your expanded God consciousness? Uh, right, so just, <laughs> so just learning Torah and doing the mitzvot, there's... It's the best way. Okay. It's the best way, it yeah. is. Because basically the Torah is o- always taking you out of this notion of this is all there is. That this is all there is. I'm all there is. My thoughts are all there is. The table in front of me is all there is. The Torah has this almost miraculous way of making you see beyond what you just see with your eyes. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I have to think about that some more. I can't give you an answer, right? I don't know, but I'll try. Just to add up what you said, um, is thinking and acting the same thing? No, two very different things. So you're, if you're thinking, yeah, um, you're get to Haran, right? If you're thinking it, yeah, it's totally different. If you're acting on it as well. Yes, very different. Very different. Very different. Totally different. Totally different. Totally different. You can be, um. Let's say, for instance, just to give you um, a, a, a simple example, imagine we lived in the times of the Holy Temple, right? So if a person breaks Shabbos, let's say they broke it accidentally, they would have to bring an offering for that, right? So imagine I'm sitting in my room at my, my house and it's Shabbos and I'm just thinking of, you know, just, just how wonderful it would be to break Shabbos. <laughs> You know, I would, oh, I would love to carry without an Eruv right now. It would be so <laughs> fantastic, you know? So when Shabbos is over, would I have to bring an offering? And the answer is 100% no. 100% no. Because I haven't done anything. I haven't broken Shabbos at all. So having some impure thoughts? It's called being a human being. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you just try to get better at it, but remember, who's having the thought? This is an important thing. And then we have to run because I, I have a, an appointment. Um, when you have a thought, who is having the thought? So this is a very, very important spiritual point, okay? Which is that the Yetzirah, this other side of us, you know, like, I don't know if this is a completely accurate representation of the 
Torah, but it's good enough for now. You have the good angel and the bad angel on either of your shoulders, and they're each talking to you, okay? All right. For the purposes of this discussion, that's close enough, okay? But, but one thing that we see there that is for sure a Torah idea is that the Yetzirah is an angel. It's an angel, okay? It's, it's outside of you. Do you understand? So it's not you. It isn't you, okay? And so, so the, the dialogue between the per, a person and their own uh, negative impulse is compared to you're walking down the street and someone waves to you from the other side of the street. <laughs> and you go, oh, right? Now, you can wave back or you cannot wave back. <laughs> In other words, you, are you going to engage them in a conversation or not? That's your choice. So when you get the first flash of something, you know, which you don't feel is a pure thought, right? Whatever that is, that's the Yetzirah, that's not you. Do you understand? Now, if you decide to engage it, and it's very hard not to engage it, but a person, if they work for years and years and years and years, and by the way, it takes years and years and years and years, Okay, it's that hard. If a person is able to not engage it, then they're okay. That thought is not them. And I'll tell you something else, just to, just to solidify this teaching. It says in Gomorrah Sukkah that there's seven names for the Yetzirah. And the seventh name, the most, the most spiritually toxic name, or powerful name, is called Safon, which means hidden which means that the Yetzirah comes to you impersonating you, where it comes to you and you think that you're the one who's saying it when it isn't you. It's like spiritual identity theft and lures you into thinking, well, since I already think this way, let me continue to think this way. But it wasn't you to begin with. Do you understand? Okay, sure.